Well, I've been sharing about what I call spirit, soul, and body. Different people call different things, but it's just summarizing that it's in the spirit that we've been changed. God is a spirit. God sees us in the spirit and he relates to us and loves you based on who you are in the spirit, not who you are in the flesh. How we act in the flesh, how we think and how we act is important as far as our relationship with people and our relationship to the devil. If you don't yield to the devil, well, he doesn't have as much inroad into your life. And so it is important how you act, but God looks at us based on who we are in the spirit. That truth has radically revolutionized my life, totally changed it. And there's so many things that I could share. I mean, Everything I teach is based on this. And so I could minister, uh, I've been ministering for 40 years on this. Amen. (laughs) And I could minister for 40 years on this. So uh, I could share a lot of things. But what I want to do tonight is make an application of this. One of the most important applications out of this truth that I've learned that has helped me in how to receive from God. And I think that this could be a real benefit to you. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 11 and uh, look at these verses that Kenneth Hagin wrote. (laughs) I've nearly taught on this as much as Kenneth Hagin has. I teach on this a lot. But let's go down to Mark chapter 11, verse 24. I'm just taking this one verse. And it says, Therefore I say unto you, this Jesus speaking, What things soever... Ye shall, whatsoever things ye desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now that's just a portion of a teaching that Jesus was given. And again, I teach hours on these passages, so there's a lot here. But there's a statement here that is really essential for you to understand. That whatever it is that you desire from God, when you pray, you have to believe that you receive, and then you shall, future tense, have it. And you know, most people don't um, do this the way that Jesus is instructing. Most people pray hoping that it will happen, but it's not until they see or feel something that they really believe that they receive. Now you might not like admitting that, but that's the way that it is with most people. You know, we were just recently over in England and I preached my heart out from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 23. I didn't get to this verse, but I preached all of these previous verses in front of it. I told the people, I said, look, I am not the only one that can pray. The Bible says you have to take your authority. You speak to your mountain. You command it and it will obey you. And there was about 800 or 1,000 people there. And I didn't have time to pray for everyone. I didn't have my prayer ministers, Bible college students with me. And so I told the people, if you have something wrong, stand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then we prayed and I called out a lot of healings. I bet you we called out 25 or 30 healings. We've heard testimonies since then. One woman had a cancer in her nose and went back to the doctors uh, the next week and was totally healed. She was from Austria, had come over there, and she was totally healed. And we had some great, great miracles happen. So anyway, I, I preached on this, called this out, and then after I got through and I told the people, I said, I'm not going to pray for you. You stand. You take your authority. You speak. 
As soon as the service was over, we had a line of a hundred people. And I stayed there for hours praying for people. And it's not that I mind doing that, but it's, you know what? You need to take authority and do it. And that's what I'd taught on it. So it was disappointing in that respect. And the last person that I came to was a woman who had rheumatoid, or I forgot what it was now. I think it was rheumatoid arthritis. Or no, it was scoliosis. I called out that somebody had scoliosis. I described it. I described how long they had had it. It was a word of wisdom, very specific, that was exactly to this woman's knees. And the very last woman that I talked to, she says, I've got scoliosis. And she started telling me her problem. I said, didn't you hear me call that out? And she said, yes, I heard it. And I said, well, what did you think? I said, it's exactly what you told me. It's the same length of time. I said, this was God speaking to you. I said, why why are you asking me to pray for you? And she says, well, I didn't feel anything. And I tell you, it's all I can do to refrain myself. The spirit of slap wanted to come all over me with this woman. But that is just descriptive of how most people are. Most people, it's like, well, I've prayed, but I don't feel anything. And they don't believe that they receive until they have some physical evidence, until they can see something or feel something. Or a lot of people go to the doctor to get confirmed whether or not God did what he said. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Some of you are thinking, what's wrong with that? This says you have to believe you receive when you pray and then and only then will you shall have it. That means future tense. It could be a minute, a month, whatever, but there is a future tense fulfillment, but you have to believe you receive when you pray. And this immediately causes some major problems. One of them is that like say, for instance, if you're praying for your eyesight, And believing God to heal you the moment you open your eyes, here's your sense knowledge, your eyesight telling you whether it did or didn't work. And if you don't see an instant manifestation, then immediately there's doubt. And this is where most people lose it. Most people cannot believe that anything is happening that they can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. And you know why that is? Because... Uh, This is one of the applications of what I've been talking about. They don't understand that there is a spiritual them. They don't understand that there is a spiritual world out here. They think that all that exists is your five senses, what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And they don't think anything is happening until there is physical proof of it. But one of the things I learned through this is that I am a spirit being. And in the spirit, I am identical to Jesus. I have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I have all of these things in the spirit. And these truths that I've been sharing with you have just opened me up that there is a spiritual world, not only on the inside of me, but out here. There are things that God is doing in the spiritual realm. And one of the things that this has helped me to do is to recognize that God moves in the spiritual realm. And whether or not you see what God is doing in the spiritual world, whether it's outside or whether it's in your spirit, whether that ever comes into a physical manifestation. Now listen to what I'm saying here. This this will shock some of you, but I believe this will help you if you can receive it. It has nothing to do with what God is doing. It has everything to do 
with what you are doing and whether or not there is demonic interference. But God moves in the spiritual world and whether or not you see it manifest into the physical isn't, that responsibility isn't upon God. That usually goes over about like that. Look at this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Let me show you this. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking again, he said, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's a very straightforward scripture. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. I couldn't tell you how many people. I've had a dozen people this week come and say, Well, I've prayed, I've asked, I've sought, it isn't working. You know what? You're already in unbelief. You're already contrary to the word. And then they want me to pray. Like, well, I know it won't work. I had a guy this morning saying, you've prayed for me before and nothing happened. But I'm asking if you'd pray again. I thought, well, why, why am I going to pray for you again? He doesn't, he doesn't believe it's going to work, but he wants me just to do it one more time. This says ask and you do receive. And yet every one of us have examples where you've asked and you didn't see any results. Has anybody in here had that happen besides me? I've had people that I prayed for die. I've had some good friends die that shouldn't have died. And I know they shouldn't have died. I know things should be different than what they are. And so you immediately have this conflict. The Bible says you have to believe you receive when you pray. I've got it right now. And then you shall future tense have it. How do you believe that you've got it when there isn't any physical proof, when it looks like something else is contrary? How do you believe that when you ask, you receive when every one of us have asked and it doesn't look like we received? If you can't resolve those questions that I'm presenting right here, then Satan is going to steal your faith from you and you will never see a manifestation of it. You've got to resolve this in a positive way or, or Satan is going to steal from you your answers to prayer. And so here is what the Lord has spoke to me and all of this comes out of this teaching that I, I've got that I call spirit, soul, and body. And that is, I'm going to say this in a nutshell and then we're going to go to some scriptures and I'll show this to you and verify it and show you that this operated a number of times in scripture. But when you ask for something, the moment you ask, God gives, but he gives it into your spirit being. Everything you receive from God comes through your spirit before it is manifest into your physical body. And then the way it gets from the spirit into the physical body is like faith is a bridge that bridges the gap between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And if that bridge is ever taken out, ever removed, then what God has done doesn't manifest itself in the physical realm. But God did move. God gave. It's just that he didn't have anybody in cooperation that he could flow through to make that thing manifest. Now that is really a simple truth, but it's profound and it has made a huge difference in my life. Let's turn over to Daniel chapter 9 and let me illustrate this to you out of the life of Daniel. Daniel was uh, seeking the Lord and wanted to understand Jeremiah's prophecy about there being, um, let's see, Daniel chapter 9. 
He wanted to understand the prophecy about 70 weeks. The prophecy was that there would be 70 weeks of captivity or 70 years, excuse me, 70 years of captivity. And I believe that they had already passed that time. And so Daniel was saying, God, here's what your word says. How does this harmonize? And he was praying and the Lord gave him the answer. And the answer was that it wasn't just 70 years. It was 70 weeks of years or 490 years. Anyway, that's not my point. So if I mess some of that up, forgive me. But anyway, this is what he was praying about. And he was asking God for this revelation. And so in Daniel chapter 9, you can begin to read this in verse 3. He says, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said... And he starts praying a prayer. And I'm not going to take time to read all of this prayer, but he starts there in verse 4. And he goes on down through verse 19. And here's the end of his prayer. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And in verse 20 it says, And while I was praying... Speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, this is talking about the angel Gabriel, the same one that appeared unto Zacharias and uh, Mary and announced the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus whom I had seen in the visions at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. So here's Daniel praying and asking God to move. And it says, while he was praying, and you can read this prayer on your own, but I mean, it probably took around three minutes for him to say these things. His prayer is recorded. And while he was in the midst of his prayer, Gabriel, the angel, showed up and gave him the answer to his prayer. Now that's pretty awesome. Amen. That's what all of us want, is while we're still praying to have the physical manifestation come, to have an angel come, to have the pain leave, to have the money come in. This is what we're all looking for. Amen. While we're still praying, boom, here's our answer. But look at this in the next verse. In verse 23, it says, At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So here's Gabriel, who showed up about three minutes into his prayer and answered it. But notice this. He says, At the beginning of your supplication." The commandment came forth. God gave Gabriel a command to answer his prayer. Go show Daniel what the answer to this was. And God commanded and it was somewhere around three minutes before Gabriel showed up. Now this brings up some interesting things. And this really drives theologians crazy. And you know, praise God, I'm not a theologian. I don't have a doctrine that I subscribe to and then I find a scripture to, to verify it. I just believe the Bible. And if this is what the Bible says, it's just fine with me. I don't care if this rubs 
theologians, theology, the wrong way or not. People think that there are no limitations upon God. If God thinks it, the moment God wills something, it's instantly done. There's no such thing as time, space, or distance with God. You'll often hear that said. Again, I'm not here to debate it, but I'm just telling you that God gave a command and it took about three minutes for Gabriel to show up. So God doesn't just instantly move and it's done. There was a time between when God says, answer this man's prayer. It was at the beginning of his supplication and it was three minutes into his prayer before Gabriel showed up. Maybe Gabriel had to pack his toothbrush. Maybe he was on the other side of the universe and it took three minutes to cover a hundred billion light years. I don't know what was going on. The scripture doesn't explain, but it does make this point that God commanded And yet there was a period of time before what God had said and commanded came to pass. Now, if that bothers your theology, possibly you ought to change your theology. That doesn't bother me at all. It just shows me that God spoke and there was a period of time in between when God released his power and when there was physical proof of it. If you go back to the very context of that first verse that I used, it was in Mark chapter 11. Jesus spoke to a fig tree and cursed it. And it was dead. The Bible says in Matthew's account of that same thing that immediately the fig tree died. But it was nearly 24 hours before it was visible. What had happened in the scripture reveals in Mark chapter 11, I believe it's around verse 20, that it was dead from the roots. It died below the surface. But the moment Jesus spoke, it was dead, but it took about 24 hours for what he had spoken to have some physical proof or evidence. And so here's a principle that when you pray, God moves and you have to believe that when you pray, God moved, his power is released and then you shall, future tense, have it. If you don't understand this, if you subscribe that if God really wanted me healed, if God had really healed me, I wouldn't have any more problems. If you think that, then I can guarantee you sometime or another, you're going to pray. And if you don't have complete manifestation, then you're going to immediately start dealing with doubt and you are going to move out of faith, you're going to remove that bridge, and you aren't going to see what God has already done come into manifestation. And this happens because people don't understand that there is a spiritual realm and that God moves in the spirit, and it sometimes takes a period of time for what God has done in the spirit realm to come into the physical realm. It's not a problem with me. You know, I prayed with a man who had sugar diabetes. And I prayed and I commanded his pancreas to come alive. And as I was praying for him, I just felt led to say that, you know what? Your pancreas isn't going to all of a sudden catch up for all of the insulin that it hasn't produced in these years. It's just going to come alive and it's going to start working. And I said, it may take a little bit of time before your pancreas gets up to where it's uh, totally functional and putting out everything on your own. But it's back to life. And this man had one of these monitors that he kept his blood sugar on. And the day that I prayed for him, his blood sugar level was 1100, which is comatose. He should have been basically dead. And he came to me six months later and he says, look at this. And he showed me the day I prayed for him, it was 1100. The next day it was 1080 and it just started going down. And over 22 days, his blood sugar level came down to 115. It stayed there for six months. Finally, he quit taking his blood sugar, quit taking his insulin. He's lost like 170 pounds since then. It's now been six years. He's doing great. 
And it, God healed him the moment I prayed, but it took a period of time for his body to start functioning and doing it. Now, if you don't understand that, there's going to be people who pray and they go immediately check their blood sugar and it's still 1,080. Well, it's 20 points better, but I'm still comatose. Well, why, God, why didn't you heal me? And they just lost their healing because they weren't able to believe. You got to believe that when you pray, God heals you, but it may take a period of time for what God has done to manifest itself in the physical realm. Man, that is one powerful truth right there that very few people understand. I prayed with a woman this morning named Wendy who has had blood transfusions for 20 years. Her bones don't produce blood. So she has to get a blood transfusion. I don't know what period of time, but she's been doing it for 20 years. And she is in serious trouble. And I prayed with her. And man, the power of God had her. She was weeping. And I know that woman's healed. But you know what? Her, it's not necessarily that her platelet count and everything is going to show within five minutes that she's completely healed. If you're healed, it may take a period of time for your marrow to begin to start producing those blood and platelet. And if she wavers and quits and says, well, if she goes to the doctor tomorrow and if she doesn't have a full count and doesn't understand that God moved and God healed her, but it's going to take a period of time, then she'll sit there and take their negative report Say, well, it didn't work. Nothing has changed. And she shoots herself in the foot. She stops believing. She gets into unbelief. And what God has moved never manifests itself. I'm telling you, this happens a lot. People don't understand that when God moves, it takes a period of time. There is such a thing. I don't know if it's right to say is there's such a thing as time and distance in the spiritual realm. But from our perspective, God moves and it takes a period of time before what God has done to come to pass. And if you don't understand that, then you are going to get into unbelief and you are going to stop believing and stop the flow of God's power. That's a powerful truth. And so in the 10th chapter, here's Daniel, the same man praying a second prayer. I like to use this example of Daniel. You can use a bunch of different examples, but I like this one because, see, if I tell you about how I received and I was praying and while I was still praying, God spoke to me and I got my answer, some people think, yeah, you're God's favorite. God does things. It doesn't work for me that way, and people just automatically exempt themselves from this. Here's the same man praying. If anything, in the 10th chapter, he should have had more faith, more expectancy because of the miraculous results to have Gabriel come and appear to him and give him his answer. So here he is in the 10th chapter praying again and asking for revelation. And in verse 2, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So this time he prayed and instead of it being three minutes, it was three weeks. Three weeks of praying and seeking the Lord. And drop on down to verse 10. It says, and behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hand. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto them I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. So here is another messenger who comes and begins to give Daniel his answer to the prayer. But why did it take three minutes in the ninth chapter and three weeks in the 10th chapter? 
Why did God answer the first prayer in three minutes and the second prayer in three weeks? Have you ever had a question like this? Like, God, how come I prayed and I got this nearly instantly and I've been praying for three weeks, three months, three years, and I still hadn't seen anything happen? Anybody ever ask a question like that? It's not a good question. You know what? Look at this. Look at what the angel said in the very next verse. This is in Daniel chapter 10. And verse 12, then said he unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come from thy words. You know what people are basically asked, God, how come I prayed this prayer and I got my answer in three minutes this time. The next time I prayed, it took you three weeks. God, why did you answer one prayer in three minutes and the other prayer in three weeks? Why did you answer Daniel's prayer in the ninth chapter in three minutes and and the tenth chapter? Why did it take three weeks? The answer is God didn't answer one prayer in three minutes and the next prayer in three weeks. He answered both prayers instantly. It says at the beginning of your supplication in the ninth chapter, in the tenth chapter from the first day, the commandment came. God was faithful in both instances. God never fails to answer any person's prayer. If you ask, God gives. God releases that power. If you knock, God opens. If you seek, God shows it to you. God always answers. God never fails to give, but we fail to receive. Like in this instance, it goes on to show... In the next verse, let's just read this in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. In other words, there was a demonic fight. I hadn't got time to prove this to you, but I could if we took scripture that this is done in the 14th chapter of Isaiah and also Ezekiel chapter 28. It personifies a demonic power as being the prince of the kingdom of Persia and stuff. This is talking about a demonic power. There was warfare in the heavenlies that was blocking this prayer and the messenger from getting through. Now, there's not a perfect comparison here. If you've listened to much of my teaching, I sometimes ridicule people who believe that the heavens are, you know, brass and that our prayers can't get through to God. We don't need our prayers to get through to God. You don't need them to get above the ceiling. You don't need them to get above your nose because God lives on the inside of us. And I believe that. But this was prior to Jesus coming. It was before God moved to earth and inhabited us. And in the Old Testament, our prayers could be blocked. The messenger was kept from coming through. And people are still using this same model in the New Testament and saying that this is happening to us today. It's not happening because God has now come to earth. He lives on the inside of us. And there's nothing to block your prayers from getting to your, from your mouth to your belly. That's where God is. Amen. And so this isn't a perfect comparison, but in the old covenant, of course, this is the way it was. And this demonic power hindered this messenger from coming to God to get to Daniel. But notice God answered both prayers instantly. God has never failed to answer a single person's prayer. You know, we've had dozens or maybe a hundred people healed down here and we had all of these testimonies, people coming out of wheelchairs, 
But you know what? There's other people that have come in wheelchairs. Not every single person got out. And people immediately say, I wonder why God healed one and didn't heal the other. God healed all of them. God never fails to release His power. His power is always present. There is no such thing as God choosing to heal one and not choosing to heal another. God releases His power every single time. But there's things that we can do that cooperate with God and allow what God has released in the spirit realm to come into the physical realm. That's what the Bible calls faith. Faith appropriates what is already a reality in the spiritual world and it brings it into the physical world. If there is no faith, then God is still faithful. God moves, but you won't see a manifestation of it because you didn't use faith to produce something tangible. Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith gives substance, tangibility to things that do exist. They're just in the spiritual realm. God always gives the spiritual power to produce healing, blessing, prosperity, joy, peace, whatever. It's all in your spirit. And whether or not it gets from the spirit into the physical is not dependent upon whether God gave. It's dependent upon whether you believe. Thank you for that one. That's right. People don't like this because it's like, well, you're putting responsibility on me. You're saying that it's my fault. That's right. That's what I'm doing. I'm saying God always gives. God never fails to give. It's us that fails to receive. And one of the reasons that we fail to receive is because what I've been teaching this week, we aren't aware of who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. We're just in the physical realm. We're so carnal. We're so limited to our five senses, not understanding that in the spirit, I have the resurrection power of God. We don't understand that things are going on in the spiritual realm, but they are. And you've got to realize that Anytime you pray, God always, always, always is faithful to His Word. He always gives and you must believe that you received right now. How can you do that when nothing in your body tells you that you've received? It's because you're aware that you are an only body. You've got a spirit and in the spirit you do have that answer. God has released His power. You do have this. And now... I'm not going to confess the word trying to manipulate God and get God to give. I'm just going to confess that by his stripes I'm healed because I believe that in the spirit I've already got it. And I understand that the way I release the spirit, how did God release the spirit realm in the first place? There was nothing but spirit before the heavens and the earth were created. How did he create them? How did he take things? It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It didn't say that things which are seen, talking about this world and tangible things, were made from nothing. That's not true. They were made from things, just spiritual things. It was in the spiritual realm. It was spiritual substance. How did he get that spiritual reality to become physical reality? God said, let there be light and there was light. God said, let us make man. God spoke everything tangible that there is into existence. Words are how you release spiritual force. 
That's how everything physical was created. Everything physical responds to words. And so God moves and gives you your answer, but it's in your spirit. In your spirit, you're already full of God. You're full of the life of God, creative power. How do you get that to become physical? Well, there's multiple things, but one of the greatest ones is you use your words. Proverbs 18, 20, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You have death and life in the power of your tongue. And so, if you are, let me say it this way. If you are saying, I'm healed, when you say, well, I know I'm not healed, but I'm going to say that I'm healed. And if I'll say it long enough, then it'll really happen. That's not faith. That's unbelief. That's foolishness. That's mockery. And this is why a lot of people mock quote unquote faith people because faith people don't believe that they're healed. They don't believe they're prosperous, but they believe they can say it long enough and then they'll make it happen. They don't believe anything is real until there's some physical proof. But a real faith person prays and believes what the word of God promises them and they say, I've got it. I am healed. I've got the healing power of God on the inside of me. There may not be any proof of it in my body yet, but I know I've got it. I know God gave it. And now you start speaking not to try and get God to do it, but because you believe he's done it. You've got it. It's in your spirit. And now you are going to take words and you are going to use words to transform the power of God that's in spiritual form into physical form. I don't know if that's helping you, but that has really, really helped me. You know, again, it would be similar to there are television signals in this room tonight. But you can't hear them. You can't see them. Not because they don't exist. They're just in a dimension that's beyond our ability to pick up with our, what we can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. But you can take a television set and put it up here and plug it in, turn it on, tune it in. And the television set doesn't produce television signals. It only receives what is already here and just puts it into a realm or into a dimension that you can see and hear. But the station, if the station wasn't broadcasting, that television set wouldn't have anything on it but snow. It doesn't produce a signal. It only receives what's already here. Faith, confession, doesn't make God do anything. If God hasn't already done it by his grace, your faith can't make it happen. You can't manipulate God. You can't force God. You can't twist God's arm and make God heal you because you confessed 500 times by his stripes I'm healed and you just grabbed hold of the horns of the altar and shook it till God comes out. Nope, God longs to heal you. God moves. God is a gracious God. God has given, but it's in spiritual form. Now he just needs you to flow through. He just needs you to take your words and begin to say, Father, I thank you that I was healed. I believe it. I got it when I prayed. I know you've released this power. So now I take my authority that you've given me. Embody in the name of Jesus. You line up. You be healed. And you start speaking, not in order to get God to move, but because you believe God has already moved. He's already done it. Man, that's made a huge difference in my life. 
So see, Daniel, he didn't have the benefit of knowing what we know. Daniel didn't know that there was a principality, a prince of Persia that was hindering his prayer. From Daniel's standpoint, all he knew was he got his prayer answered instantly, but it took three minutes for the messenger to show up and he was just standing there saying, God, you're a good God and I refuse to back off. He didn't know what was happening in the heavenly realm. But now that we can read this account, we know that for 21 days the prince of Persia withstood this messenger. What would have happened if he'd have quit on the 20th day saying, man, I've been at this for 20 days. Last time it took three minutes. I quit. Even though all of this had been going on in the heavens, even though there was a spiritual battle, even though the messenger had been pressing through for 20 days, if he had quit on the 20th day, I don't believe he would have ever seen that prayer manifest because it took his faith standing there for God to do this. God flows through us. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. If there isn't any power working in you, then God cannot do it. Or you could say will not do it. He is not going to move in this life except through a person. We are joint heirs with him. He has to have a physical human body to flow through. So if you quit believing, let's just say that you pray for a healing and you stand for a day or two and you are just excited. You believe that you receive it, but man, here comes a pain or you go to the doctor and the doctor says you don't have it. And then all of a sudden you say, well, I thought I was healed, but you quit because there isn't the physical proof of it. Then you know what? You just quit believing. And even though there could have been tremendous activity in the spiritual realm, God could have released his power, but there's some demonic power standing against you. You wouldn't see the manifestation. And from our standpoint, not being able to see into the spiritual realm, we just look at it and think, well, I prayed and this person died and God didn't do a thing. Oh, is that so? The Bible says if you ask, you receive. God did his thing. God moved. You just didn't see the fulfillment of it because something happened. And there's multiple things. You know what? I'm still learning. But I bet you I could name a hundred things that I've experienced that Satan uses to short circuit what God has done and uh, keep it from coming into manifestation. For instance, here's just one example. If you're praying for prosperity, God is not going to counterfeit United States currency and just give you money. You know, I heard about a person that was praying for prosperity and all of a sudden, like, I, I forgot what it was, but it was over half a million dollars or something just showed up in their bank account. And they went to check it out and it was a mistake on the bank's part. They, did, they made a mistake. And this person said, thank you, Jesus. God didn't do that. God is not going to steal half a million dollars from the bank and put it in your account. That was a mistake. And you know what the right thing to do would have been to go and say, you made a mistake. This isn't mine. And yet there's people think, oh no, God's just going to create money or God's going to just steal it from the bank and put it in my account. No, God's not a thief. God's not a counterfeiter. He's not going to make money. God isn't going to give you money directly. There's many scriptures. One of them that's classic is uh, Luke 6.38. It says, give and it shall be given unto you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. God supplies your needs through men. He isn't going to create money and put it in your wallet. If you ever hear, I heard a man here in Dallas-Fort Worth that was selling green strings for $10. And if you would put this green string in your wallet, then God would just create money and you'd never be out of money again. I guarantee you, that's a scam. That doesn't work that way. God doesn't create money. God isn't going to put money in your pocket. You can't just pray and ask God to give you money. It says in Deuteronomy 8.18, God gives you the power to get wealth. He doesn't give you wealth. He gives you power to get wealth. And you have to go out and in faith, set your hand unto something and God will multiply it. But your financial prosperity is tied to other people, whether it's your boss, whether it's the economy, whether if you, know, if you own a business, somebody's got to buy your product, uh, take advantage of your service. And Satan can hinder you if you are just praying and saying, oh God, give me money. And you don't understand that God instantly moves to answer that prayer, but he's going to move on some person and that person can hinder or delay what is coming to you. For instance, here's, a, here's an example. I was preaching on this about 25 years ago and a friend of mine uh, was trying to sell his house. He'd been trying to sell his house for two years and he wanted to sell it by the owner so that he didn't have any real estate commissions and he wanted to get the full benefit of it. So anyway, he put a sign for sale by owner in his yard and prayed over it. And for two years, he had been trying to sell that house and had just had very little activity and nothing was happening. He had already moved out of that house, had another house, so he was making dual payments. He had reached a place to where he just had to have some relief right then. And he heard me preach on this and the application of it was that he realized, God, you spoke. You answered my prayer. You spoke to somebody about buying my house the very first day I prayed. But you weren't going to buy my house. Somebody else is. And Satan must be hindering me through these other people. And so the first thing he did was repent. Say, God, I'm sorry that I've asked you over and over and over and over and over and over again to sell my house because... It's obvious I didn't believe that you had done anything about it. So he repented. And then he said, Father, I believe that you answered my prayer the very first day I prayed, but now somehow or another, Satan is hindering me through people. So he didn't know how the hindrance worked, so he just started praying in tongues. You don't know how to pray, the Spirit will make intercession through you. So he started praying in tongues. And as he was praying in tongues, he just believed that there was somebody who their finances were hindered so he started speaking and believing God. Anyway, the long and the short of this story is in two days' time, he was sitting at a table closing on his house. A guy came and had the money and he was buying his house. And as they were signing the papers, the man said, you aren't going to believe this, but two years ago, the very first day that you put that for sale signed by owner in that yard, I told my wife, that's our house. And he says, for two years, I have been trying to buy this house. And he says, it is supernatural, the hindrances that I've had. He said, I had to sell my house and I had a business and some other things. And he says, it shouldn't have been a problem, but for two years, I've had nothing but problems. And he says, you know, the strangest thing was that two days ago, two days ago, a man just walked in and dumped 
all of the cash on his desk that it took to buy his house. And he said, I, I closed on that house. I came over and immediately bought your house. And he says, everything turned around two days ago. When this man quit doubting that God had done it and kept asking God to do it over and instead believed that God had spoken, but now, God, I know you've given. What are the hindrances? What do I have to do to remove the hindrance? And he started interceding for the people and boom, the thing broke and came through. I can give you a personal example of when Jamie and I were first getting started in the ministry and we didn't have any money and long story, I didn't got time to give the whole thing, but I prayed and believed that my rent was paid. And we had a hundred dollars rent. We had, we had agreed for a hundred and twenty dollars so that we could give off of it. So we were believing God for a hundred and twenty dollars and we didn't have it. And we were three weeks late, just about like Daniel. Three weeks late, and I was saying, God, what's going on? And finally, a woman called and says, I'm passing through your town. I'd like to take you and Jamie out to eat. And we said, great, because we hadn't eaten in weeks. We didn't have any money. And uh, so we went out to eat, and man, we enjoyed the meal. And at the end of the meal, she gave me a check. I opened it up. It was for $120, exactly what we were believing for. I knew this was God. And I was praising God, but in my heart, I didn't say it out loud. I was just thinking, God, this is three weeks late. (laughs) I needed this three weeks ago. And the woman told me, she said, God spoke to me four weeks ago to do this. (laughs) But I have never given except to the church. And this is the first time I've ever given money to an individual. And I just wasn't sure it was God. And so I've been praying about it and praying about it and praying about it, trying to make sure... And finally, I'm convinced that this is God. And so here's the money. And you know what? When I thought, I thought, Jesus, you were faithful. You even spoke before we needed the money, but Satan hindered me because God uses people. The next time we needed a hundred dollars, you know what I did? I was painting my mother's house and I remember painting a bay window. And this time I was about two or three days late on our rent. And I remembered what had happened. And I said, God, I know you've already answered my prayer. And so you've spoken to somebody. I just don't know who it is. And I don't know what's hindering them. And so I started praying in tongues and just praying and believing that whatever the hindrance was, God would remove it. And while I was praying, the phone rang and I went and answered it. And it was a teacher that I hadn't seen in four or five years, an old teacher of mine. And she had been praying about me and felt like that she was supposed to give uh, me some money, but she didn't know where Jamie and I lived. We had moved out of Arlington. And that day, just before she called, she had run across my mother and asked about Jamie and me. And she said, well, he's over at my house, painting my house. And so she called and said, would you go to lunch with us? And we were believing God for $120. And I think she gave us 400 and something dollars. This time it was only three days. Amen. Instead of three weeks. And it wasn't God who caused one time to be three weeks late and the next time three days late. It was Satan hindering my prayers and it took me a while to learn this. But see, now I've come to a place that when I pray for something, if I pray for physical healing, I know that when I ask, God gave that power. Actually, in the New Testament, you've already got the healing power of God on the inside of you. It's already there. You don't even have to ask. If you go back to Mark chapter 11, verse 23, it doesn't even say to ask God to heal. It says, whoever will say unto this mountain, 
In the new covenant, you've already got the raising from the dead power. You need to take your authority and speak not to God about your mountain, but speak to your mountain about God. And the moment you do that, God's power is released. But there's things that could hinder it. Your doubt could hinder it. There could be things you're doing in the natural that can hinder the manifestation of God's power. Jesus, in the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, he had to take, uh, or in his hometown, it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, that he could do no mighty work, say that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. It didn't say that he wouldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Jesus was operating in faith perfectly, and yet he couldn't manifest the healings that he wanted to do because of their unbelief. If you put that together with Matthew 13, 58, it it says he marveled because of their unbelief. So you put those two passages together. He wanted to heal people, but he couldn't because of other people's unbelief. And you can see this. When he went to raise Jairus, his daughter from the dead, and Mark the fifth chapter, he put out all of the people who laughed at him and mocked because you know what? It would have stopped the power of God from being in operation. And so... One of the things that can hinder is that you can be in an atmosphere of unbelief and it hinders the power of God. I've given testimony to that this week that as we've been talking about spirit, soul, and body and people are beginning to understand that, man, in my spirit, I am in union with God and God's not imputing sin unto me. The more revelation, the more you believe this, the easier it's getting to pray for people. Pastor Bobby Ray over here says, man, it's getting easier. Every service we're seeing greater manifestations of healing. Not because God is getting stronger. God was already strong. It's our unbelief. We live in a culture of unbelief. Some of you don't understand that, but we are as pagan. We are are full of unbelief, brothers and sisters. You know, over in Uganda, I was with Leland and we saw great things happen But I even heard one of the pastors in Kampala, Uganda, say that in Kampala, it's harder to get people to receive than it is out in the villages. And you know why? Because Kampala, even though it's a third world country by our standards, they now have multiple TV stations. They have music in there. They have all of these things. And the world is intrusive and people are being entertained and being occupied by the world. You go out into those villages where we took a car and went to the end of the road and then took a little path up 1,500 feet, took us an hour to climb up to a place where there are no roads and, and there was a hundred or more people up there singing and worshiping God. The world doesn't intrude into their life as much. And you just see miracles happen at a greater degree out there than you do down where people are occupied. I could preach on that for an hour. But whether you realize it or not, you are baptized in unbelief. You hear unbelief. You are fed unbelief nearly 24 hours a day. You can't listen to the news without unbelief and criticism and negativism. And we are, just, we are just bombarded with junk. You know more about medicine than any group of people that have ever lived, which is mostly a detriment to you receiving healing because they never tell you that, oh, of course, if God touches you, none of these things apply. They don't factor God into it. They just say, you're going to die. This is what happens. This is incurable. It'll get worse instead of better. Those things hinder your faith. And so what I'm saying is Jesus had to put out the people that were full of unbelief. 
I can guarantee you if Jesus was living in our culture today, Jesus would be putting lots of people out, lots of Christians out. He couldn't do many miracles in most of our churches because of our level of unbelief. And so you can believe and pray and God releases his power, but the unbelief of the world that we live in is a huge detriment to us seeing the healing power of God. It is a major deal. And so you are gonna have, you're going to have to start living. If you want to see the power of God manifest with minimal obstructions and resistance, man, you're going to have to get fanatical about God. You're going to have to separate yourself from unbelief and get into faith. And there's not very many people that do that. There's a lot of people that will listen to my teaching tonight and go home and wash it down with a couple of hours worth of unbelief. true. Look in Mark chapter 8. I'm talking as fast as I can, praise God. Mark chapter 8, let me give you an example example of Jesus doing this. In Mark chapter 8, in verse 22, and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his home saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. You know, this is one of the most unusual healings that Jesus ever produced. It's, there's a couple of things here. First of all, he took this man by the hand and led him out of the town. You know, Jesus was busy. Jesus had everybody vying for his attention. The scripture says that he didn't even have time to eat many times. Jesus didn't have time to grab a guy by the hand and just walk for two hours out into the country. He didn't do this just because it's what he felt like doing. He wanted to go for a stroll. I've heard some people say that Jesus does things sometimes just to be weird so that you can't figure a formula out. And there just is no rhyme or reason. Man, the God who created such order and system in the universe so that you can go back thousands of years and tell exactly what star was where and you can project in the future and you can shoot a capsule towards Mars and have it land on an exact spot because everything is timed so perfectly and everything is so systematic and in order. It's inconsistent to believe that a God who created all of that order just does things because he's weird. There's a reason why Jesus took this man by the hand and led him out of the town. And you know what it is? In the 10th chapter of the book of Luke, I won't take time to turn over there, but Jesus said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, which is this place. For if the mighty works that have been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented years ago in sackcloth and ashes. But you are more full of unbelief than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be more tolerable for them than it will be for you. Bethsaida was one of the two most hardened, resistant places to Jesus' ministry of any place that he ministered. And again, I refer back to Mark chapter 6, verse 5, where he could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief in his hometown. Jesus had been limited before because of a hardened group of people that wouldn't believe, and Bethsaida was one of the worst. And so he recognized 
that the unbelief of that town, the unbelief of those people would have stopped him from manifesting the healing. Now, it wouldn't stop God from giving. God is faithful. God moves into the spirit realm, but it would have stopped it from coming into a physical manifestation. So he took this man by the hand and led him out of the town. Man, that's significant. And notice after he was healed, he told him down here in verse 26, he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Well, that's a pretty radical statement. How's he going to get something to eat? How's he going to do his business? How he's going to take care of things? Don't go into town anymore. Don't tell it to anybody in the town. Why did he say that? Because that town would have stopped him from receiving his healing if he would have stayed there. And if he goes back to his home and starts telling it to people in the town, they would have stopped it again. They would have stolen from him. The unbelief would have overwhelmed the good that Jesus had done. It's very clear if you understand this. And then he did another thing that was really unusual. After he prayed for this man, he says, what do you see? Now, according to many people's standards, that would have been unbelief. Jesus wasn't sure that God was healing him. So he asked the man, did it work? That's the way some people see would interpret this. But of course, Jesus didn't do that. I'm telling you that Jesus knew God gave. That is not the problem. But even though he had gotten this man out of the town, he hadn't gotten all of that town out of the man. He knew that the unbelief of that area had affected this man's heart and that he was struggling to believe. And so rather than just pray and know that God was faithful and that God had released his power, he wanted to help this man see a physical manifestation. So he wasn't doubting that God had moved, but this shows that even though God moves, we have to cooperate for it to have a physical manifestation. And so he asked this man, what do you see? And the man said, I see men as trees walking. Now he'd been totally blind before, so he was partially healed. So that was miraculous. There's no way that Jesus was doubting that God the Father had done what he, what he said he would do. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. And after he saw that the man was partially healed, this proof, he, he, if he was doubting, he wouldn't have asked, uh, he wouldn't have laid hands on him a second time. What he was doing is he, he knew God was faithful, but where are you? Are you having trouble receiving this? Are you struggling to get a manifestation? And the man says, well, I've got part of it. I can see man as trees walking. So Jesus did another thing. This is the only time in Scripture that this is recorded. He laid hands on the man a second time. And the logic behind it was, it wasn't saying, well, God, you didn't heal him the first time. Maybe you'll heal him the second time. That wasn't it. Because he, his eyes were partially open. You know, I prayed for a man one time who was blind and his eyes only partially open. He was totally blind, couldn't see anything. And all of a sudden he saw a clock on the wall and he said... I can't read it, but here's the clock, here's the cord. He started pointing things out and the people just went bananas. And he still couldn't see real good, but he could see. And you know what? People were believing, man, the power of God's working. The fact that this guy could partially see was evidence that the power of God was working. Jesus didn't doubt his father. When he laid hands on him a second time, it wasn't to say, oh God, you didn't do it the first time. Would you do it this time? No, he believed God had done it, but what he was doing, he realized that there was still unbelief. There was still resistance in this man 
towards the thing. He had only gotten a partial healing. And so basically it's the principle of if you can withstand one dose, you can't withstand two doses of the Holy Ghost, amen. He just gave him another shot, amen, to overcome that unbelief. And he helped the man get fully restored. You know, often, and I I fail in this area because I don't have time to tell you everything I know. I'm talking as fast as I can and I can't tell you everything. And I don't have time to explain this to every person and people come with so many different things that often we'll just lay hands on a person and pray and we let people go without seeing a physical manifestation. But you know, when I was pastoring a church, I taught the church that I pastored these, these principles. And when we prayed for a person, we wouldn't pray for just anybody. Sometimes it was premature to pray. So we'd say, you need to go home and you need to get right and you need to study the word and you need to build your faith up so that you're ready to receive. I wouldn't pray for every person, but when we prayed for people, we wouldn't quit until we saw a physical manifestation. And we saw blind eyes open. We saw deaf ears open. We saw people on crutches healed and walked out. We had uh, people with cast on their legs. We would break the cast off and they'd be totally healed. And we went two years and saw physical manifestations. Sometimes I prayed as much as four or seven hours, but we always saw them manifest because I knew that God had done it. It wasn't a matter of whether God gave. It was a matter of whether we are receiving and it could be just our unbelief or it could be a demonic uh, hindrance or it could be a lot of different things. And so we'd just keep praying until we saw physical manifestation. But we believe that we received when we prayed. We just quit praying. We wouldn't quit praying until we saw it. We believe we received it before we saw it, but we wouldn't quit praying until we saw it. Everybody see the difference? Here's another example. I, it was in Childress, Texas. And the very first time I ever taught this message, man, I got so excited about it. I put an ad in the paper, bring the blind, the lame, the deaf, and we're going to have a miracle service. And people came and I preached a message similar to this one, talked about how it already comes in the spirit, but Satan can hinder and you've got to stand and you've got to take your authority and pray and see these things come to pass. And I preached a message like this. And then a guy came forward, a 17-year-old boy, and he was blind in one eye. And so I prayed for him and I said, and we prayed and I said, Father, we believe we got it right now. We're healed. And we started praising God and rejoicing that he's healed. But I said, we aren't going to let you go until there is physical manifestation because we believe that we have the authority. See, Daniel couldn't have bound the prince of Persia because he didn't have authority over the devil in the Old Testament. So it wouldn't have done him any good if he had have known that the prince of Persia was withstanding his prayer. But I do have authority, and I can pray in tongues, and God can show me what the hindrance is. And so I believe I receive, and I thank God, but then I don't quit praying until I see the physical manifestation. And so... We prayed for this boy, praised God that he was healed, and then I covered up his good eye, and I, I had him look through his bad eye, and I said, how many fingers do I have up? And he couldn't even see light. He couldn't see my hand. I had to turn his head over here towards my hand. He couldn't see a thing. But I said, you know what? I believe what I said is true. God has healed this man. He's healed. 
God gave this. It's not God who hasn't healed. It's us who's probably struggling with unbelief or maybe it's a demonic thing or it's something, but it's on our part. It's not God's. And so we're going to stand here and pray and build ourselves up in faith and pray in tongues until we see physical manifestation. And I started praying. And uh, we had about 20 people standing around praying over this guy. And about every two or three minutes, I'd stop, cover up his good eye and say, how many fingers do I have up? He couldn't see a thing. And as we did this for about five or 10 minutes, people started thinking, "Uh uh-oh, didn't work. God didn't heal him. And people started leaving. And so I just basically got up and dismissed the service. And I said, anybody who's having problems with this, you're welcome to leave. But those of you who believe what I'm saying, that God gave. And it's not God who hasn't given. It's us who hasn't received. And it's either our unbelief or maybe it's just a demonic opposition or something. But it's something that's not God and we can change it. I said, we're going to stay here and pray until we see a manifestation. So we had, I don't know, a few people... Stay, and we started praying. And I bet you we prayed for 30, 40 minutes. And we'd stop every five minutes and ask him what he could see, and nothing. And man, I was praying in tongues, and I was saying, God, I know this is true. Show us what the hindrance is. And as I was praying, I just had this thought come to me that he doesn't need a healing, he needs a miracle. And when I thought that, I thought, I don't know what the difference between a miracle and a healing is. I don't know what that means. And I was just thinking this over in my head about, is this God? Is this what we need to do? And while I was thinking about it, Don Crow, who is my associate pastor, he says, God just spoke to me and said, he doesn't need a healing. He needs a miracle. It was word for word what I was thinking. And I said, this is it. I said, this has got to be what the problem is. So I just stopped everybody. And I said, what's wrong with your eye anyway? And he said, when I was a kid, I had a real bad infection and they surgically removed the lens and the retina of my eye. He says, I don't even have the parts of my eye there to be able to see. I said, man, you don't need a healing. You need a miracle. (laughs) So then we prayed again and I cut my hands like this over his eye because, you know, you can have the death and life in the power of the tongue. God created. And I just spoke and I said, I command lens and retina to come into this eye. And I spoke to it and commanded those things to come into his eye. And then I covered up his good eye and I said, how many fingers do I have up? And he says, one, two, and he could see. And it took us 30 or 40 minutes to come to a place. See, it didn't take God 30 or 40 minutes to heal him. God gave instantly. And I still don't understand really what the difference between a miracle and a healing is. But anyway, we just, you know, a blind squirrel will get a nut if he doesn't quit. And we just decided that God, you've done it and bless God, we're going to keep praying. And you know what? We just stumbled across something that was the key. And this boy got his eyes open because we didn't quit. So many times we just pray for a person and say, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. And we don't give them what they need. And if they don't doubt, and if they hold fast, well then yes, the principle is there. Believe you receive when you pray and it shall come to pass. But man, how much better would it be if we really, if everybody understood this and we as a body would just stand and say, I know that we're here. I know that God has given. It's not God who hasn't given. It's us that somewhere is being hindered in our faith or there's just a demonic opposition and you stand and pray as a body until you see things come to pass. You know, when I taught that in 
Childress, Texas. There was only one little girl who had a skin rash. It wasn't anything major, but she just had a rash and we prayed over it. And that's the only thing. I still don't understand why we didn't see that. But we prayed for hundreds of people. Saw people come out of wheelchairs. We saw people brought in ambulances who had less than 24 hours to live and they were instantly healed. Uh, A woman with her hands all curled up from arthritis set free and within a week her hands were totally free. We had third degree burns that instantly were healed. And you know what? We saw miracle after miracle after miracle. We just saw nearly every kind of thing you can imagine happened. When I left Childress, Texas, I was thrilled. I was going to go out and turn the world upside down with these truths. And I started preaching this. And I remember the very first service, we had a guy who had poor eyesight and I started praying with him, didn't see instantaneous results. So we dismissed the crowd. I went over to his house and stayed up until three in the morning praying for this guy and never did see his eyes get any better. And I said, God, what's wrong? And the Lord spoke to me. He says, you underestimate the power of that body. You had about 50 or 60 people that believed this as strong as you did. And I could give you examples of people that got sick in the middle of the night. And man, if somebody got sick, we'd call them. There'd be 40 or 50 people over there in 20 or 30 minutes. And we'd stay up with people hours until they got completely healed. There was a body of people that believed this. And when I left there, I went out thinking it was just all my prayers that were doing it. And you know what? I didn't get the same results. And so anyway, I'm just, I'm presenting this as a principle that I believe is true. There's a lot of variables. You've got to understand this. You've got to get strong in faith. There's a lot of things. I can't guarantee you tonight that I'm going to get every single person healed because I'm not going to stay up and pray with 100 or 200 or 300 people for five hours each. I just can't do it. But I'm telling you, this has worked. I've seen miraculous results. God gives in the spirit The healing power of God has been released, but there's things that can delay the manifestation. Satan can hinder it. There's all kinds of things that can happen. And as you press through and just stand in faith, eventually you overcome these obstacles of the devil if you don't doubt in your heart, if you believe that you receive when you pray. And see, this is one of the results of this teaching that I've got about the Spirit. In the Spirit, I've got it. I've already got everything. And it's not me waiting on God to heal. God is already healed. It's me that just has to manifest it. And uh, there's a multiple of things. I could preach for hours on that. But anyway, it's a great principle. And if you understand this, this has been one of the things that has changed my life. It has made a huge difference. Often when I pray with a person... I can, I don't know, I don't feel this physically, but I can discern spiritually whether or not the power of God is being released, whether this person is receptive or not. And if I discern that they aren't receiving, that the anointing of God isn't flowing into their body, you know what I'll do? I'll just switch over into a gift of the Spirit. And I'll go to ministering to them on something totally different. I'll go telling them, the Lord has shown me things about people. I've called people's names out before or whatever. But I'll go over here and I'll start ministering to them about their emotions. Well, the Lord shows me that you've been really beat down and discouraged and there's been depression and you've been just thinking of giving up. And all of a sudden, see, they were were stuck for whatever reason in this healing. They'd been dealing with it so long, there was discouragement and stuff and they just couldn't get around it. And all of a sudden, I start ministering to them on their emotions and they say, boy, this is God. 
How could he know that? And they start opening up and faith starts flowing. And all of a sudden, boy, God's touching me. And they're in faith and everything's flowing. And as soon as I get them open up and the power of God flowing through them, then I'll turn back and say, and there's your back being healed. And I'll get their back healed by, in a sense, going around that roadblock. Amen. And, but see, I'm doing all of those things because I know that God is healed. It's not God that doesn't heal. It's us who have blockages and hindrances that hinder the things that God has done. God always, always, always has answered every prayer that you've ever prayed. And the applications of this are just limitless, really. There are some of you that have prayed for people I have who have died that I've prayed for. And you know, the very first time that happened, man, I felt like God had failed me. And there was a real tendency for me to become bitter at God. Like, God, your promises didn't work. I stood and it didn't work. And you know what? I just decided that God was bigger than I was and I didn't have any right to go get mad and criticize God. And I decided to let that go. And the Lord eventually showed me what happened and I've seen people since then healed of that same thing. But I'm saying that there are some people that every time I minister on this, there are some people who think, well, I prayed and this person died. It didn't work. And they're angry and they're bitter at God. One of the results of this message, if you receive it, is that God didn't fail you. God answered your prayer. Many of you can look back and there was improvement. There was supernatural things going on. There was evidence that God was working, but there was just other forces. There was unbelief, maybe of other people. Maybe there was just lots of things. One of the mistakes that people make is when they go to praying for another person, they just assume that I can get this person healed off of my faith. Jesus couldn't do many mighty works because of their unbelief. You can influence other people, but you can't overcome another person's unbelief. You have to take into account what that person believes. And sometimes the person you were praying for it wasn't believing, wasn't receiving. And that's the reason that they died or things didn't work. There's a lot of variables. But you need to understand that God has been faithful. God has never let you down. God has always, always, always answered your prayer. And you've got to believe that you receive the moment you pray. And then you shall, future tense, have it if you don't waver from that. Boy, that's powerful. And I tell you, this has made a huge difference in my life. This is one of the foundational things that I believe in it has stood me in good stead. Amen. I've seen some awesome things happen. I haven't seen everything happen, but I've seen a lot of good stuff happen. 